Powered by Riverside. Welcome back, everybody, to the Backside Ground Balls podcast. We're coming to you here late on a Wednesday evening, and I know Dan's going to be disappointed. He's going to have to be up early for work. We're taking him out for a late night, so apologies to Dan there for that one, but we have a really special episode today. We have Dylan Campione, the host of the Side Retired podcast. Dylan, thanks for coming on the podcast. No worries. Thanks so much for having me. I love the intro music. <laughs> we Dan and I came across that one day just messing around on here and we were vibing with it probably it was probably one of these late nights when we were getting the giggles a little bit <laughs> it was uh, sure. and that's we're like you know what we're gonna throw it at the beginning of every podcast <laughs> so but that's that's kind of how it goes so um obviously our listeners aren't from probably familiar with your podcast so like I said it's the side retired podcast kind of go give our listeners a take on on what you guys offer for for our baseball fans and somebody who might be interested. Yeah, so basically we started off I think during COVID when everyone was at home and we love talking baseball so we figured what's the easiest way to keep talking baseball and that was by creating a podcast and so it was me and two other of my high school buddies then at the time and sort of just talking baseball, talking smack doing like top 10 right fielders, the Mets lost today and all that sort of stuff and then sort of transitioned into realizing that while we like hearing ourselves talk, we're not sure other people like hearing us talk. And that sort of transitioned into, well, how do we get more viewers? How do we get people to enjoy our content more? And that's where more recently we've sort of turned into a guest-oriented podcast where now, sure, we'll still sprinkle in like a top 10 list on occasion, but it's more focused on having unique perspectives across the baseball industry on each week, sort of. I know we had a couple of guys, and it's really random, sort of, of one week you could have Savannah Bananas, one week you have a D3 head coach on, and it's really all different walks of baseball, and it's just talking and hearing about people's stories in the industry. Real quick, me and Trevor haven't figured out where people don't just like to hear our voices talk. I'm sure it'll <laughs> dawn on us at some point here, but we're almost 50 episodes in, and uh, I don't think that anyone uh, – that that one hasn't hit me in the head yet. So as long as, as, long as this thing's on, I'm just going to keep blabbering. <laughs> it took us a good, like, maybe year and a half to figure out that out because we had one episode where we had a guest on, and we're like, shoot, that one did a lot better than everyone else that we've done so far, and maybe that's the direction to go in, but – no, it's been a blast sort of getting, it's obviously we enjoy recording podcasts, but at the same time, you get to meet so many cool people in the baseball world, even hopping on with you guys are now getting to meet you two tonight. That's sort of like, baseball is a cool, fun industry and getting to meet as many people with fun stories in it as possible is definitely a fun thing to do. Yeah, of course. That's, that's definitely one of, like, we always say, like, I mean, we've recorded one episode, Dan was driving home to Delaware from from North Carolina, and he was... I literally called him and was like, dude, why don't we just record? And we literally <laughs> recorded our phone conversations. I mean, we've had so many phone conversations and we we're just like, why don't we just put it on a recorded platform? Like, but we still don't know if that's what people want to hear, but we enjoy doing it. So we kind of just take the shot at it. But you mentioned the guest and, and one of the things that really intrigues me is obviously I listened to a couple of your guys episodes since we kind of linked up and who's the best guest you've ever had on and, and kind of why? 
Okay, so this was before we fully transitioned into a guest-oriented sort of show, but one of the big guys that we had on last year during the lockout um, was Bob Nightingale, who's obviously known for his baseball blunders, I'll put them, in that <laughs> there, as a Mets fan, when he tweeted out that Trevor Bauer was going to the Mets at the time, I was ecstatic and through the roof, and sort of, obviously, we know that didn't come to fruition, but getting Bob on, not only to hear, sort of, talked a ton of baseball rumors with him, but also, how do you become a baseball insider? How did he develop into that was definitely one of the cool episodes to hear from him. And then, of course, ended the interview, and I saved that question for the end, just in case he walked out on us when I asked it, but sort of said, so what happened with Bauer to the Mets? And there was an awkward pause at the end, but he eventually answered the question. So it was a really cool, fun time, sort of blending A, talking baseball, but B, also hearing what he's like, because we obviously read his tweets all the time, but getting to put a guy behind the face is definitely a cool thing. That's unbelievable that you actually had the nerve to ask him that. I might have chickened <laughs> out. Like, that's, that's unbelievable. Like, especially once I got to know him and like, oh, this guy's cool. He's giving us all this time. I'd be like, ah. <laughs> so <laughs> thanks for coming on. But, uh, you know, just to hear your perspective, and obviously you've had like, and then once you guys transitioned to guest-oriented, um, I was listening to a couple today, and you guys have had, so many unique guests too. Um, I don't want to botch her name, but I believe it was Haley Williams, who's a trainer mm-hmm. with the Rays. And like, that was such a cool, just insightful episode, especially to hear about her journey, you know, through the minor leagues as an AT, something that mm-hmm. like, I've never thought about those people, but they're just as invested as anyone else in that organization. What's some of the like, maybe not the bigger names, but some of the people that have really kind of been change your perspective a little bit, or people who are, you know, in the inner workings of the game that, you know, aren't names that people would know about that you've enjoyed having on. Yeah. So I think when we try to come up with guest ideas and everything with that, we almost, my two co-hosts and I, we come up with a challenge of the goal is not obviously you get Bob Nightingale, you do Bob Nightingale, but it's like one of us will suggest a guest. And if the other two have never heard of them, then that makes them like an attractable sort of let's get them on and hear what their perspectives like. So I know recently we had the coach of the Savannah Bananas on Adam Virant and sort of everyone knows the Savannah Bananas, but he's been with them for five years before they were popular. So sort of hearing what that was like and hearing sort of their upbringing and upcoming and sort of we had another, because we also at the end of episodes have our guests get to recommend the next guest. So speaking of Haley, she recommended a guy named Joey Hanley who created his own sort of uh, physical therapy and sports training facility. And being a guy from New York, we didn't have that much training. It was sort of you throw in March 1st and you start playing and that's it and you're on your own. But he's running a facility where it's like, no guys are working 12 months of the year coming in every single day. So hearing a lot of that side of baseball is definitely an interesting thing. So it's sort of the more obscure they are, the more interesting it is to us because we have kind of no clue where it's going to go from the get go. Well, and I think that's kind of what's so cool about what you guys are building. And then you just touched on something when you first were answering Trevor's question about the baseball community and how it can connect. And, you know, it's such a large, I mean, it's huge, right? But at the same time, it's so small. And we've had the opportunity to talk to some minor leaguers and and obviously some college coaches. And it's just like unbelievable how we can all connect. Has it changed your perspective on the game at all when you start to talk to these people and also like realize that, hey, this is a big community and from the outside, sometimes it can almost seem intimidating. But then you get mm-hmm. Tom Walters on, and it's like, oh, he's just a baseball guy, <laughs> no different than us, other than the fact that he has a really impressive job title, but also like a ton more experience than me. But so has it, you know, has it changed your perspective on how you see just kind of the baseball community on the whole, or even the game 
Yeah, absolutely. Because I think when you first get into baseball, you think there's 30 big league teams, there's 30 managers, 30 GMs, and a bunch of superstar players. But then the more you dig into it, you're like, well, each team has four minor league teams. They each have managers who have cool stories. And oftentimes it's those people who have been in the minors for five, 10 years that really have the cool stories and have been on 12-hour bus rides, flying from city to city, getting called up and then sent immediately back down to get called back up and sort of those are the grind stories that are really interesting to hear about. And I think getting those Savannah bananas before they were famous, getting a guy who was rehabbing from Tommy John surgery and went through his whole recovery with the team only to find out when he was ready to pitch again, that they cut him. And he was like, what was the whole point of that? To sort of the side of baseball that you don't hear about that almost doesn't have all the glamor and the allure of sort of Rob Manfred is an amazing, like I would never say no to Rob Manfred being on the podcast, but everyone knows him and he's working at Avenues of the Americas in a great environment and a great job that everyone knows about. But equally as important to baseball as the commissioner is that 26 man on the roster that's making less than league minimum and that sort of thing. Yeah, you just you just came right at, at me and Trevor's heartstrings there talking about long bus rides and people you've never <laughs> heard about as D two and D three guys. We that's that's not only relatable, but I mean some of the best people I've ever met, right? And I think that's what makes it so cool. And when you try and talk to, you know, this isn't really a question, but to me it's like when you <clears throat> try and explain to people who are outside of it, whether it be family members or friends who have never been a part of it, it's almost like you don't understand like that the community that you build and sure that like the majority of us, the three of us included, are never going to probably step on a big league field as players, obviously. But, you know, we probably never step on them as coaches. Trevor and I won't. You might still, uh, Dylan. But, like, you know, it, that doesn't matter. Like, that that doesn't matter to us because the people we've met, whether it's people you've played with, worked with, or get the chance to talk to, it's like that community is so strong. And they, you learn more than any class. Sorry, yeah. Mom. Any class has <laughs> ever taught you, right? Like, it's just like – and that, to me, is what makes – that community and something like baseball so special 100 percent. that's what's sort of like a podcast because i know i said oh well, we realized you know that gets more listeners when you have guests but at the same time it's sort of for us we're getting more out of it as well ourselves we're meeting all these cool people that who knows down the line if you're in if you talk to haley and then she works for the rays all of a sudden you're in tampa who knows if you could text her and say hey want to meet up remember when we were on the podcast that sort of thing where it's like you're growing a network of people and baseball is a weird industry, especially here at Georgetown, where it seems like I'm in the business school, 70 to 80% of the guys want to go into finance, banking, consulting. Right. And as much as like you realize, okay, they make 150K coming out of school, <laughs> that sounds awesome. But at mm-hmm. the same time, I might be miserable doing that. Right. And, you know, that sort of thing of realizing that I'm a little bit different. And when realizing to people when they say, oh, you do baseball, that's cool. Like baseball is a lifestyle type of thing. And, um, just as you're as passionate about banking, baseball is our thing. I bet you guys as well, sort of baseball is part of your blood. It's in your DNA every single day. Yeah. And, and, and you talk so much about, you know, it being in the DNA and the conversations that you have when you connect with these people. I remember being out recruiting and, and one of the best parts is like, obviously I'd be super fired up to see my buddies, my friends, my guys that I played with, coached with, and just like, but like meeting somebody new and having an in-depth conversation about hitting 
the amount of stuff that I learned in those moments, like literally just like leaning up against a fence at a team camp and just like shooting the crap with a volunteer assistant from a division one school and just talking, hitting, talking baseball, talking all this stuff like that. You know, I got to ask you, what's the one time that you sat back listening to a guest talk like and you were just like, wow, I know when we had Aiden McIntyre on, who's um, pretty well known for his YouTube videos and he was a roommate of Collins and so he came on he was actually our first guest and when he was talking I remember leaning back in my chair just going like oh my gosh like this kid is so smart this is so awesome what's one experience that you have with that so I think and maybe this is a little recency bias but when we had Tom Walter on he sort of told us his ropes and obviously he now works at Wake where you know, they have the highest amenities and it's an amazing place to work. But he mentioned sort of his humble beginnings. And he started as that, graduated from Georgetown and immediately went into assistant coaching. I forget the school now, but he sort of worked his way all the way up the ranks, going from assistant coach to head coach, I think at like a D2 or a D3, and then became an assistant coach at the D1 level. And then all of a sudden is coaching at Wake Forest. So it's sort of hearing his journey was really eye-opening in that wow, that's like the ideal career journey, career path journey if you want to be a coach. So sort of hearing from those types of guys, hands-on experience that I know I've spoken to my coach at Georgetown and he had somewhat of a similar journey journey to Coach Walter, but definitely hearing the more people you talk to, the more it reinforces that baseball lifestyle. So even if to coach is definitely the most recent example, but the more interviews you do and the more you hear about it and the more you reinforce that idea that, the baseball lifestyle is real. Yeah, it is. And, and there's a lot of years of, and you've talked to multiple college baseball coaches. I know you guys are going more into the division three ranks, which, you know, hopefully we'll be expanding more into Dan and I's neck of the woods there. We could get into the D two and D three ranks where you interview coaches, but there's a lot of coaches that genuinely do it for the love of it. I know the Walters of the world, the Stiflers of the world, like they have the title of Notre Dame head coach and Wake Forest head coach. But, you know, there's some really smart and really brilliant people out there that are doing it for not that title um, and po- potentially for the dream of that title. But it, it's that community and it's that passion for baseball that whenever you get to sit as a fly on the wall for any of these guys who have been in the game and have skin in, skin in the game for as many years as they do, it's so it's so fun to sit back and and just listen to them talk about like, hey, like my, the, the head coach that I was lucky enough to work for for a year, he started a program with a guy. And like to hear the difference between like what we had built at Arcadia and the success we had had to hear like, dude, we were gravid kids out of like, they started a program from like at an all women's school. So like they were basically bringing in men and baseball at the same time. So like you're trying to convince kids, which is an easy sell for high school seniors to come in and and come to an all women's school, but you know, to get baseball players and to buy into what you're doing and the trials and tribulations of, of that is, is so it's so fun to sit back and watch and to kind of hear your, you being able to, to kind of go through that with the, with the Walters and the Stiflers of the world is, is kind of impressive. I know there's not a question there. It's kind of just more a broad, you know, conversation point of, of the baseball journey for so many of these guys. Yeah. hundred percent. Because I know like, obviously when you have Frank the tank on, you hear him screaming about Barstool and the Mets, <laughs> not saying that's not a cool interview, but it's not that I didn't learn anything from Frank, but more seeing him in action was almost more impressive to me than 
hearing what he had to say about the New York Mets and realizing that his passion is real. And he's a, he's a baseball junkie just as much as Haley is with the Rays, just as much as Stifler is with the Notre Dame team. And that everyone finds their own world in the baseball industry, whether it's podcasting, coaching, playing, all that stuff. But everyone can be unified by that. I'd rather be doing baseball than a calc test. I'd rather be doing baseball than studying at a nine to five job, that sort of thing. And obviously there are occasions where you have to work the nine to five job as well as then coach baseball at night. But that shows almost even more that you really want it because on top of, I guess, the real regular world, you're also still doing baseball at the same time. Yeah, I I couldn't agree more with what you both just said. I mean, you're so spot on and and just to be able to, to, you know, me and Trevor refer to it often as scratching that itch, right? We both left the college game um, after last year and it's like we you know there's parts of it you miss and there's parts you don't miss but to be able to do this and talk to people and like you still feel like you're in it and just being able to have that sense of community still to me is unbelievable and um, I'm sure we'll transition off your podcast here in a minute but I just want to keep my I just want you to be able to keep plugging it here what what is the do you guys have a vision do you guys ever sit down and talk and say hey like this is where we're at now this is where we want to go with it I mean obviously we would all sit here and say, well, yeah, a million followers and, you know, a, a big time brand backing us. But is there like a, a, you know, a cultural vision that you guys have for it? So that's been one of the interesting things in that as co-hosts move on and as guys behind the scenes sort of say, I'm done and we bring in new guys. It's sort of beginning of 2023, I guess it is now, where we sort of said, so what is the long term goal and what do we want to achieve out of this? And obviously, you know, the dream goal is that it turns into the next Barcelona John Boy. But at the same time, you have to realize it might not be like not easy right. to do it. There's a reason there's only one John Boy type of thing. So we sort of have the mutual goal now of as long as we're still having fun doing it, as long as there's at least someone other than us listening to it, because if no one's listening to it, then we can just have the conversations on our own. But and then also at the same time, as long as we keep it informative in our head and that each episode, we're hoping that someone is learning something new. It could be as simple as, I didn't know what the Savannah Bananas are, now I do. Or it could be, we have a physical therapist on, I didn't know anything about physical therapy, now I do. So as long as we're still having fun and listeners are still having fun, you know, it's the best of both worlds type of thing. Now, we would obviously love to continue to grow and with growth, it comes, or with growth, it comes sort of better guest i guess in quotes but then that's the old-fashioned chicken or the egg do the new guests get you the new listeners or do you have to get the new listeners first in order to get the guest and that's the million dollar question that every single podcast has but ideally we'd love to continue growing it we love still doing it so why stop why push off the pedal type of thing yeah, for our listeners that don't know, Dylan and I connected. I reached out to his page through TikTok, and one of the things that he said, we we ended up talking on the phone for about an hour, which was just a credit to Dylan for taking the time out of his busy schedule that is at Georgetown <laughs> is way busier than mine to take an hour to talk shop with me. But one of the things that you said that really stood out to me, and I I, I know I texted Dan right after, is you said that. If you're enjoying it, doing it, no matter how many listeners you have, you you have something, right? Yeah. When it doesn't come down to how many downloads, when it doesn't come down to you know how many listeners, followers, retweets, whatever it is, and you're still enjoying doing it, everything else just becomes icing, and you know it just really resonates because it's kind of something that you went in there. It's like, and we feel the same way. It's like whether five people listen to the episode or whether five thousand people listen to the episode, we we 
really don't care. Uh, we enjoy doing it. It's a time for us to connect as friends. It's I'm sure it's a time for you to connect with with your buddies and talk baseball. At the end of the day, that's like you said. I mean, the the funny. It's the greatest origin story. You literally were just like hanging out with your friends talking baseball, and your dad was like, "Hey, why don't you guys record that?" And you're like, "Shoot, why don't we record it? That's a great idea." Yeah, and sort of thinking about because I know I was at high school with these guys, and now one's at Notre Dame. I'm at Georgetown, and sort of. This is the only we were closest best buds in high school. This is kind of the only time we see each other now. Obviously, we're right. texting about baseball twenty four seven. But to know these buddies of yours that you're going to see twice a week for an hour long period, it's sort of kind of a break from, as I mentioned earlier, lots of studying and stuff. But sort of knowing that, all right, a hard day worth of studying, I can end my day just relaxing, talking baseball, and sort of goes to that point of. Um, you love having listeners, but at the same time, if you're having fun doing it, that's the most important part. Yeah, that's that's great. So the last question I'll ask you before we get into a little bit more of what you're doing at Georgetown and stuff like that is it's something you guys ask your listeners at the end of every episode, which I thought was great. So if there was anybody we should interview that you've interviewed that you think w- would be a great conversation and our listeners would like, who who would it be? So I guess maybe this is also recency bias, but we had Joey Hanley on recently. He opened up his own gym and interviewed his business partner, I believe, yesterday. And basically what he taught us about is he's the guy that I mentioned earlier who had the own uh, his own facility that he opened up for minor leaguers. He said minor leaguers. He's had high schoolers. So he sort of is in that ilk. And I know you guys grinded through the D2, D3 grind and he's similar ilk. I forget the name of the school he went to, but same thing, went to a D2, D3 school and is a baseball junkie. So I think he'd be a great guy for you guys to have on, sort of talk about. Obviously, I assume we'll get into pitching and analytics, but he's probably, he's got a four-year degree and he's already lived that life. So maybe he knows it a little better than I do, <laughs> more credit, but I think he'd be a good guy and then also could recommend a bunch of others after of that course. sort of thing. Of course. I mean, with the, with the guest you guys have had on, I'm sure you could take up 40 of our next 40 episodes with with some of the guys that that you had on and and that that's phenomenal but you mentioned the analytics side of things and obviously um you know your role at georgetown is really interesting and like i i said to you on the phone it's something that i wish i had for career goal purposes obviously playing baseball is one thing but you know for laying the foundation of a career in baseball it's a great position to have so kind of give our listeners a rundown on on what you're doing what that role kind of is and and how you how you came across getting into that position yeah absolutely so i think what initially started as, as a high schooler everyone's dream is to be the guy closing out the world series being at City Field as a Mets fan, you want to be the guy with the trumpets playing in the background and I'm closing out the World Series. And then everyone has that moment where they realize that's not going to happen. And for me, that sort of happened once I got to Georgetown, tried out for the team and Coach Thompson, who's an amazing coach and that he will be completely honest with you, even if you don't want to hear that honesty. And he said, Dylan, we love your baseball resume. We love your sort of knowledge of the game but we just don't think you throw hard enough for the team. And as much as that sucked to hear, and obviously no one likes to hear that, but at the same time he said, but we want to keep you around. And having gotten to know him and the pitching coach, Coach Capen, really well over the last year, they said, how about you stay involved, watching pitching, throwing batting practice, doing just saying something with the team. And eventually it led to us creating a baseball analytics team at Georgetown and there's another senior 
named Will. I'll give him a nice little shout out there. But Will used to run the baseball analytics team with the former coaching staff. And so we combined Will, started up the analytics team. We had 20 of us or so. Um, and then now I'm sort of the analytics coordinator. We're sort of being that liaison between coach and all of our data analysts. We have guys running Rapsodo data. We have guys running the Mustard app data and sort of all these different ways to incorporate analytics as well as guys who are, because some of the Georgetown guys here are really smart and I don't even understand some of the data that they're running. They give me something and I'm like, all right, explain that to me like I'm four years old and they'll break down what an XFIP and all that stuff means. And um, it's really a blast because knowing that I can't be the guy that closes out the World Series, but now I'm the guy that's kind of helping the Hoyas get that closing out game is definitely a cool thing. Not to take too many shots, but don't worry, Edwin Diaz hasn't had that opportunity. (laughs) (laughs) I had to. I'm sorry. I just couldn't. It was there, and I thought about it, and I was like, I don't know if I want to do this, but um, any chance to dunk on the Mets. Um, I guess so. My, you know, one of my big questions about kind of the role you're in now too is, um, you know, there's, and we've touched on this a million times, and uh, me and Trevor kind of. I like to think we lay in the middle of it, but you know, there's the, the pool between analytics and, and analytics are ruining the game, right? Mm-hmm. There's people in favor and people not. I think me and Trevor probably lean a little bit more towards like, if there's numbers that are going to help you, you'd be an idiot not to use them. Mm-hmm. But I'm just curious, is there, has there been times, is there a bunch of stuff where, you know, in your conversations with, with, you know, your skipper or, or even with, you know, some of the guys that are bringing you data where you're like, no, this serves no purpose here. And what are some of those metrics maybe that you've found that are like, well, this doesn't really, this isn't useful to us. Mm-hmm. So I think sort of, and our pitching coach is really sort of our key go-to guy with the analytics. He got a math degree at Holy Cross. So he's been involved with numbers. He also played in the Seattle Mariners organization. So he's really the epitome of played baseball, understands the numbers. You got an advanced analytics pitching coach and that's a yep. really cool guy. Um, there are instances where, of our 20 guys naturally will come up where they have a really cool finding and they'll figure out sort of why the Pittsburgh pirates stunk last year based on the numbers. Other than, I guess we could kind of tell by the eye test too, why the Pittsburgh <laughs> pirates stink. <laughs> <Talent. laughs> <laughs> but he'll come to us and say, we found this and we're like, that's really cool, but not sure it helps the, the Hoyas win baseball <laughs> games, but it's the type of thing where we'll take it. And then if we can apply it to Georgetown, it's a really cool finding because each guy has their own, passion people are working on scouting reports people are working on um, analytics people are working on sort of all different types of baseball analytics you can think of we hopefully fingers crossed have a guy working on it biomechanics sort of all that stuff Um, so for me personally I'm not like the vetting process for coach but we also as part of being a coordinator is that I need to figure out what actually needs to get on the pitching coach's desk versus what can sort of not there just yet. So being a part of that has definitely been a cool and encouraging thing to be able to do. Yeah, that that's, that's awesome. And, and it's so, it's so tough because, you know, like you said, it's, there's stuff that might make sense to um, even a major league organization that might be quantifiable to something they can use on a day-to-day basis, but like how you implement it especially in the time frame. Like that's one thing as a college coach, especially at the D3 level, we have a lot of time restraints. There's a, there's a billion things that I want to do that I want to accomplish, but in reality, I might not have the time to accomplish. And 
So kind of go into how that balances of, of using your time wisely with information, with the development and how you prioritize the information you're being presented and using and being able to kind of push some stuff to the back burner that you're like, Hey, like we gotta, we gotta play a game in two weeks and like, we can't figure out what's, how this is going to kind of show up on the field. hundred percent. I think there's that sort of difference in that. Obviously, right now, the spring season started last weekend, and the shift sort of focuses on minor changes to how can we win ball games now? And whether that's a scouting report, whether that's a pitcher blew up and now we need to sort of figure him out versus in the wintertime when coaches hear more often, then it's sort of we can be hanging out in the office and trying to figure out, you know, what should we do today to improve the team versus now coach has 20 hours of practice a week and is only in the office for an hour. So it's how can we maximum utilize that hour that we're together type of things versus in the winter, it could be December. He asked me, do you have any homework tonight? Of course I lie and say no. And then I'm in his office for three hours talking baseball, sort of like this where it's, we'll have findings, but at the same time, it's just the more baseball you can talk, the better and you'll eventually learn stuff from it. So um, it's really been in a sort of an amazing journey for me to still be involved with baseball um, and being with sort of getting to know the Georgetown coaching staff and all that stuff while still um, not playing baseball, but definitely soaking up as much baseball as possible. Well, and, and to me, you know, just getting into it and to Trevor's point, like, you know, one of the frustrations always, and I feel like this doesn't matter what level you're at as a coach, right? If you're, if you're there for the right reasons, you're always trying to find a way to, to make your team better and there's just not enough time so you have to get really good at prioritizing and you have to be really good at sifting through stuff right and so when you're doing the analytics kind of side of things especially at the college level being able to sift through and and say well correct me if i'm wrong here i guess this is my question is you don't have as much information available available to you as a major league team does especially when you're talking about building scouting reports and understanding what you're seeing next like yeah, you can look at as much synergy video as you have, but there's not a a, a a department that's at the game that's, you know, you don't have a track man in every stadium that's spitting the information to you. Mm-hmm. So kind of what's the pool as, as far as that when it comes to like scouting and the analytics? Is it, you know, do you find yourself running into roadblocks because you don't have as much information available on Presbyterian like you guys played last yeah. weekend? Definitely. So it's sort of, I know with a baseball team, you could go on, baseball savant you could look up as many advanced statistics as possible and not to say that we don't have anything but it's definitely not as much as those other as a major league baseball team would do and sort of using synergy as you just mentioned but then a lot of it is just self-scouting and the more you know your personal guys the more you know your own team strengths um, eventually it's a game of batter versus pitcher so if you put your pitcher in the best spot to succeed against their batter hopefully your strengths are better than their strengths and sort of that bouncing active, obviously there's box scores and there's everything that even someone who's not associated with Georgetown baseball could still write a scouting report like we do, where you go online and you say, so what is Presbyterian's leadoff hitters batting average? How many home runs does he have? Is he crushing righties or lefties? And that's things that we'd look at for sure. But it's also what pitch does our pitcher pitch well with, with two strikes and all the data we have from our own games is, you know, we have it because we're watching our games intently every single pitch, but um, don't have everything on our opponents. But definitely the more we can get out of our own team, the better chance we have of winning ball games. So from the sounds of it, it, it sounds like the head coach at Georgetown, you said Coach Thompson, correct? Yeah. Coach Thompson and obviously the pitching coach, it seemed like they're pretty 
new age, I guess, and or at least open minded to it. Kind of, mm-hmm. kind of go into how refreshing, I guess, it is to work for coaches that are open minded to what you're presenting to them, and and kind of how is that relationship when you're presenting information and and, and when you kind of for them to implement it into the day to day. One hundred percent. I think Coach Thompson and Coach Capen, and if they're listening to this, this is a full endorsement of them because. <laughs> They've done a really great job of the program before they came in, not to diss the old coach by any means, but I don't think they'd made the playoffs in a long time. And Coach Thompson and Coach Capen came in really with an underdog team. I think they were coming off a six-win season. And in the first full season of Coach Thompson, we won over 40 games. And it's like going from six to 40, something's going right. And um, it's because they're great baseball minds. I mentioned with Coach Cape, he's in the Mariners organization, he treats every single pitcher like an individual, like an equal, and wants to get the most out of them. And Coach Thompson's an absolute great leader, knows how to handle a clubhouse, knows how to deal with personalities and be a leader on and off the field for the guys. So getting them, not only with the analytics, because Coach is a great guy with the analytics, and that if you present him, it's that mentality of, if you're going to give me something to win, why would I ignore it? Um, And sort of, there are times where he's like, I got to just seventh inning. Why didn't you pull him? I just got to go with my gut on that one. And that happens. And that's the perfect million dollar question in baseball where it's analytics versus the eye test. Sometimes you got to say, I know the numbers are telling me something, but I've watched seven innings of this guy dominate. Who cares that the left-hander in the pen has got a statistical better chance of striking him out. I'm still going to stick with my guy that's gone seven strong innings. And that's, there are some people in the analytics world that would probably say, why didn't you pull him? The numbers said that, but I guess being, I know I wasn't a college pitcher, but being a pitcher myself and understanding the whole, like you're a pitcher on the mound dominating through seven. I don't want to be pulled the whole Blake Snell in the world series. The numbers said he couldn't pitch the third time around, but when you're dominating with a no hitter, one hitter, why are you pulling him sort of thing? So it's finding that balance between analytics and the eye test. I think coach Capen and coach Thompson really do well. And, um, obviously the numbers speak for themselves when you take a six win team to a 40 win team and trying to do the same this year. That's impressive. But <laughs> I, I think, I think you kind of just hit it spot on too, is because there's so many more factors than right. Like, and that's, that's the thing is, is, you know, you can look at the numbers and they can be telling you one thing, but you know, what's the long-term effect on pulling that pitcher, right? Like, mm-hmm. does that pitcher then think that you don't have the confidence or the faith in them? And especially when you're dealing with 18 to 22 year olds, which is yeah. to me, what makes college baseball even more fun. Me and Charlie talk about <laughs> all the time is like a lot of times, no offense, you are a college student, but they lack perspective that, yeah. you know, sometimes you gain with life experience, right? Like, you know, me and Trevor laugh, lack perspective in some things because we're not that old yet. Um, <laughs> And and so for me, it's like, well, you, you have this and there, there has to be a balance and there has to be, you know, being an experience and, and being in the dugout, knowing that, hey, my guy's rolling right now. I'm going to leave him out there or, mm-hmm. you know, this is what the numbers say. This is an opportunity to go with the numbers and trust that. I think that's kind of, you know, where the divide has been created. And it's like, well, we could all we should all be able to agree in the middle, because as you said, what, what Coach Thompson says, like, if this is going to help me win games, why am I not? Why aren't we using this? Right. And that's mm-hmm. kind of things. But. Um, I just, when you first got into the role, was there ever a time where you were a little nervous presenting some information? Was there ever a time like, oh, I don't know how he's going to react to this? <laughs> Absolutely. Because I think when, when it first started, and still technically now, the Georgetown baseball analytics team isn't officially affiliated with the Georgetown baseball team because then you have to go through all the loops of everyone signing NDA contracts and everything right. to do with that. And it started off as a club on campus that initially it was entirely based on 
why are the Pittsburgh Pirates bad? What is, uh, you know, finding these major league stats that everyone found on baseball savant, baseball reference. And then Coach Thompson, when he came in, he heard about the baseball analytics club and said, we have 15 to 20 bright minds at the waiting. Why not use them? So, of course, the first time that I was in there, I was one of the first guys. And that's, I guess, why I ended up getting the coordinator position where it's sort of the first time you present something to coach, you're nervous out of your mind because yeah. you're telling him, <laughs> you're not telling him how to do his job, but you're telling him this could help you with your right. job. And right. I remember like doing a breakdown of a pitcher and you're telling the pitching coach what's wrong with the pitcher. And you're thinking he probably knows the answer and this might just be a test of him seeing how good am I at figuring out the problem. But um, what we've created at Georgetown knock on what has been a really collaborative environment of even if coach says your idea stinks, it's in a joking way, but a serious enough way where you realize, all right, I need to fix this. But it's also, if you mess up once in an analytical, like obviously if you mess up in a different way, you're, you're done and you're gone. Right, but right. if it's sort of like, figure out what's wrong with our pitcher. You suggest something. It's not a hundred percent the solution. We're all trying to figure out and win ball games. Coach knows that even if my analytical breakdown, isn't the greatest, I'm still, the intent is to win the ball game and to fix the pitcher. So it's, it's not being afraid to fail and sort of not to go back to the podcast, but in a way, when I send out a DM to a person to say, Hey, do you want to come on the podcast? The worst thing that could happen is they say no, and it's not good. And with coach, it's sort of the same thing is, you tell him, hey, this is, we want to fix this pitcher. Here's what we came up with. He could say, no, the pitcher's fine. And you move on. And that's, it happens. And you're, you know, you move on. And it's a good thing because analytics and eye test is really important. And the environment we've created at Georgetown is collaborative, making sure everyone's involved, heard, and contributing to winning. So as you talk there, I have, I have three things. My dad yeah. taught me the whole no thing when I was like 12, when it was about asking girls on dates. Um, <laughs> thankfully, as a happily engaged man, I don't have to worry about that one anymore. Thanks, Secondly, Papa Powers. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Secondly, Coach Thompson, I mean, I know Dan and I are like – one of the things that, that if you got to – interact with Dan and I for long extended periods of time. We're hard on college coaches because it's mm-hmm. something that we've been involved in, but to kind of hear the way you're interacting yeah. with them, you're, you're not a player, you're not his top assistant. Mm-hmm. Obviously they're helping him win to hear the open-mindedness is, is, you know, huge to hear. And it, it makes me view the Georgetown program as a step up because as long as their leadership is, is doing what's, what's necessary there. That's, mm-hmm. that's phenomenal. And that, that's fires me up to hear that there are coaches out there. Cause I know they're all across the country, but they kind of don't get the recognition they deserve. Yeah. But the third thing, and this is where my ego started to creep in. You got to tell me a good story of where you might've blown his mind or kind of changed the way he viewed something or even helped maybe a pitcher change some things or, or something like that. So what's a pretty good story you got where, where you might've changed somebody's mind and, and gotten them to, to think about baseball in a different way? Yeah. So I assume I can't go into the specifics of who the pitcher was or the exact problem because then coach might have a problem with right. me. But basically right. we realized that one of our pitchers was tipping his fastball versus his changeup. And it was almost because I know my main role last year was doing biomechanics with the team before becoming the coordinator. So my main thing was like sort of watching pitchers mechanics over and over and over again and realize a biomechanical mistake or dropping your elbow or extending or doing all those different biomechanical tricks that a pitcher might have. And it was as simple as this pitcher would shake his glove on a fastball and wouldn't on a changeup. And it's 
that type of thing where you're watching a guy pitch over and over and over and over again, and eventually you see it versus when coach is watching, he's usually standing behind the pitcher or in the dugout from far away. And coach probably would have found it too. And eventually we, you know, if he's watching all the film, eventually he'll notice that small thing. But that was one of the weird instances where we were just watching film over and over and we're like, why is the curveball getting hammered? And then that weird revelation where we're just watching the film eventually like, is he tipping it? Is he shaking? And then we're like, oh shoot, that's the problem. And it wasn't mechanical. And it was that the whole time. That was definitely, that's one of the funner ones. Coach and I have had a couple, or the pitching coach and I have had a couple of fun late nights just watching film, doing Rapsodo and all that stuff. And that was definitely one of the, trying to crack the case on him for hours. And eventually to realize it was that simple little fix was definitely fun. That's and, and but like that seems so minor when you mm-hmm. tell the story like that. But I mean, you probably turn that whole kid's year around. <laughs> yeah. And like right, and the value then that adds to the program. I mean, for to me as a pitching coach who spent four years, you know, trying everything to make guys better, mm-hmm. like those little victories mean everything, right? Yeah. And and those like that's what you do it for. So that's I mean, that's an outstanding story. Um without giving away any sensitive information, what do you think is the number one, you know, what's been the most effective data point you found or, or, or best method that you found, especially on the pitching side, you know, as a pitching guy, like I'm I'm just curious because, you know, I had my methods and I had things that I really, you know, relied on and believed in. I'll, I guess I'll tell you mine. My my thing that I always pound my fist on is um and I found this just by being a baseball nerd and, and looking at a guy like Shane Bieber and, and starting to see some trends in major league baseball, and I kind of applied it is like use your best pitch the most. Mm-hmm. You know the old the old adage of we pitch off our fastball here. It's like I you know unless your fastball is your best pitch. Like for me and my guys, it was like no, we're gonna throw our best pitch the most because why wouldn't we? You know, and I started to think about it, and it was like, well, if if you know you're a you're a boxer and you have a really good right hook, why would you focus on on throwing a bunch of jabs? with your left if you have mm. a better right hook than than the guy you're facing or the, or the girl you're facing so that was kind of how i went about it was pitch usage so is there is there something one thing that you've discovered or, or you've kind of had a revelation on of like this is the this is kind of the data point or the thing that we really you know can drive home and again if i, I don't want you to have to give away sensitive information but um kind of in general yeah. So I think the two things probably one is more me and then one, I guess, is a Georgetown philosophy in general is that for me personally, whether it was just analyzing pitchers or just at Georgetown, it's sort of there's this Tom Seaver phrase of the most important pitch or you're like your best pitch is a first pitch strike and doesn't matter sort of the same philosophy that you just had where if you can drop in your 71 mile an hour curveball for a strike every single time, that's your most important pitch. If your first pitch is I throw a fastball 80% of the time for a strike. That's your most important pitch. So in an at-bat, if someone says, what's your best pitch? Sure, some people might say fastball, curveball. You're, I think what we like to subscribe to is your best pitch is a first pitch strike. doesn't matter what pitch that is. As long as you're getting a first pitch strike, I know people can probably look the numbers up in the majors as well as college. And that when you're 0-1 versus 1-0, there's a massive advantage for the pitcher. So um, hearing that philosophy is definitely one of those things that's been ingrained in me. Even when I was pitching in high school where coach would yell at me, first pitch strike, first pitch strike. And at first I'm like, okay, it's harder than it looks, coach. But, <laughs> but sort of knowing now on the, not coaching side, but knowing on the watching side of, yeah, first pitch strike is really important. So subscribing to that philosophy. And then at Georgetown, we have 
a general rule of staff over self. And this applies to both, you know, everyone on the analytics team subscribes to that the coaches, the pitchers, the hitters, and it's every day staff over self and that um, whatever will benefit the team is more important than what will benefit you solo, whether it's a guy who's been a starter his whole career and we need him to close out a game, staff over self, I'm going to close out that game. If it's an analytics, we've done a lot of just inputting data and it's boring and it's sort of tedious to do, but that data is going to help us solve a lot of problems in the future. So staff over self, grind it out that night. So that's sort of that phrase that I think it was Coach Thompson who was the first one to mention it way back then where he said, staff over self and that has now stuck for the year and a half that coach has been here where you know if you do anything that doesn't seem very staff you're gonna get bombarded with 10 people yelling at you staff over self and you better get in line that's amazing i'm bought in i'm bought into mm-hmm. to what you guys yeah. got going on at, <laughs> at georgetown for sure just in these 45 minutes we've been talking i'm completely bought in that's amazing um so i just i, I kind of want to um you mentioned that you were doing a lot more biomechanical stuff last year and so i'm kind of just curious was there something that like surprised you about, you know, kind of diving into that stuff that uh, maybe you learned? Mm-hmm. Well, I think I'm a guy that, you know, I fainted at the sight of blood. So <laughs> biology and all that stuff doesn't seem like it would be my forte, but sort of learning and being a pitcher in the past of now realizing why everything's connected. And if your shoulders hurt, that's why you're not throwing as hard, but just as equally, if you're not landing on your front foot correctly, that also plays a role in it and realizing that everything's connected. And I think Sandy Koufax, the one that like drew an S from your head to your foot. And that's sort of realizing that that's true. If one thing's off, it's probably going to lead to your whole mechanics being off. And the key for us is figuring out what's the root of a pitcher's problem and then going from there. So if he's releasing it too late or a curveball, sort of why is he doing that? Oh, it's because his shoulder's delayed. Why is his shoulder delayed? Because he's opening his hips too early. And it's one thing leads to the other, and while I don't think I'm a by any means anywhere close to an expert in biology, starting to realize a little bit the physics of why everything works and is connected together has definitely been a cool eye-opening experience because two years ago, I watched Jacob deGrom pitch, and I just say, damn, he throws hard, and that's, <laughs> that's all I knew about pitching, but now I know it's because, oh, because he puts his momentum on his back leg and pushes off the back leg and drives forward and he's got one of the best extensions in baseball so it's helping analyze georgetown pitchers but also i know my friends probably don't like this now when we watch mets games and i'm looking at pitchers mechanics more than why are we losing right now because we just made an error (laughs) i'm worried more about why did he hang the slider and trying to figure out the answer but it's definitely definitely changed the way i've looked at baseball yeah it makes it tough that's just something you're gonna have to get used to in life just like talking to your to your friends who don't have the background knowledge anymore or or in my case sometimes siblings and relatives it's like it's a completely different viewing experience Mm -hmm. where you're you might as well be watching two different things but you know that that is fascinating and and then probably I, i can assume you're probably the same as me but the appreciation too of just like how everyone's so different yeah. Right. Like, and everyone's so different. And yeah, it's that it's, it's this guy's hips and shoulders and it's the other guy's, you know, back, you know, he can, his, his scaps don't move. Mm-hmm. Right. Or this kid's hips are internally rotated naturally. And this kids are externally rotated naturally. And, and we got to find a, a pathway for each of them. And you're only one guy. Um, yeah. <laughs> but you know, it, it just, to me, it's, you know, that's what makes it, you know, it's a fun challenge. It's like a puzzle to crack right? Mm-hmm. Like just being able to, to kind of look at it and, and kind of figure that out. 
Hundred percent. I think Cape when a new pitcher, and we usually have like between grad grad transfers and freshmen. There's usually eight to nine new pitchers every single year, and Cape makes a point. The pitching coach of like each one of them is completely unique and completely separate, and each one's got his own sort of. What are we going to work on today? And that's a really cool goal because I assume they do that in the big leagues as well, where it's sort of all right. Today this pitcher is working on his sinker. Tomorrow this guy is working on his curveball, and to see at the college level that. Georgetown's trying to do that and create this culture of professional, be the best team possible, stemming all the way from Coach Thompson, Coach Capen, and all the way down to the 40th man on the roster. Everyone's fully bought in trying to help the team out as much as possible. Yeah, that's awesome. And, and individualized player development is is just the key, right? Like it's it really is. And and you start to see it at the big league level when you when you start to like you're talking about the biomechanics, Dan's talking about use your best pitches, you know, the most. You talk about first pitch strikes, and you just start to like nitpick these little things of like the difference between the top starter on a team and the fifth starter is sometimes first pitch strikes it's sometimes you know their ability to move properly on the mound to maximize their body's output it's them not being able to throw i mean we had brandon walters who's with the who's on the 40 man of the boston red sox on and his best pitch is a slider it's a legit 80 grade slider i've swung and missed on it a ton of the times he's a delaware guy but he's now punching out guys in triple a and then potentially in the big leagues this year and he can't, he, not that he can't, but like he doesn't use it all the time because it's hard to control. Like it's mm-hmm. hard to throw because it's a wicked pitch and it's gross. And it's just crazy to think that this whole thread is all baseball, right? You talk mm-hmm. about the individualized part and, and how much you've learned. And obviously you mentioned Coach Cape and, and kind of what are some of the lessons that he's taught you just broad picture about that you take, whether it be on the podcast, whether it take to, to viewing the game? Is it kind of some of the stuff that you've talked about with us or is there some more stuff in there? I think it's also another big takeaway in baseball podcast in general is never do anything halfway. And that when Cape says, all right, we're going to break down this picture. We're not leaving his office until we find a solution or figure out or figure out the problem. And coaches really instilled that in all of us and that we're never going to do anything halfway. And whether that's, you know, figuring out how we're going to market the podcast. If that's, I have no clue how to do this math problem. I have no clue um, how I'm going to get home on a train, sort of everything. (laughs) Uh, You can't just give up halfway. You sort of have to play it through, even though, you know, the easiest part, starting off things is always difficult, but then you get in a groove and usually, I mean, this is why all movie directors are successful. When you're around 80% of the way through a movie, something goes horribly wrong. And I guess in movies, they usually are able to figure it out and everyone lives happily ever after and sort of wanting to do the same thing with whatever we're doing in life. Coach Capen has instilled in me in that we're going to have a problem at some point. And then are you going to be sort of the guy that's going to persevere and go through it and eventually reach that goal, whether it's make a top 100 podcast, whether it's win 40 baseball games, whether it's the Mets are going to finally win a World Series, which I'm still hoping for. Eventually that might happen. But um, no, it's sort of ingrained in me fully, that whole never go something half-hearted and always give your best to it. Even if it's, you know, I'm going to dedicate an hour towards this. I'm not going to, phone's going to be on, on the other side, not going to be checking my phone. I'm going to grind out this chemistry homework for an hour. And if all of a sudden I missed a phone call from my grandma, well, then I'm going to call her at the end of the hour and apologize. But 
that sort of thing of always go full effort, I would say, is one thing that Georgetown baseball has definitely instilled in me. That's a really good lesson to have. Yeah. It's <laughs> a really good lesson to have. So um, obviously for my next question for that is kind of go like, what are your, what's next? Like what's your career goals almost in baseball? Do you want to, you know, is it MLB? Do you like the college game? What are you thinking? Yeah. So I definitely want to do something in baseball. I know I talked about earlier of how people in my grade are like, I want to work at, finance bank a finance bank b and that would be cool for them but definitely not for me and it's sort of what do i want to do in baseball not 100 percent sure because still a sophomore in college figuring the world out and i guess leaving all my avenues open of who knows if a podcast takes off not banking on it but you know if all of a sudden somehow that takes off in two and a half years then that seems like fun talking about baseball and getting paid to do it is definitely a cool thing to do but at the same time it's um, doing all this analytical work with coach and I guess combining the baseball podcast where you meet all these different people in the industry and then coaches his connections in the industry. You never know what's going to happen. So dream job would be like GM of the Mets. I know that's not realistic at all. And, you know, you never know what will happen because I know Pete Alonso is the guy that said he wrote his term paper junior year was like, well, what do you want to be when you grow up? He said a, a first baseman and his teacher told him not realistic. Here's a D on your paper. I'm pretty sure he got or a C. So <laughs> if someone asked me, what do you want to be when you grow up? And I had to write the paper now, it's like Theo Epstein goal sort of type of thing. But um, even if that's not realistic or not against, or it is definitely against the odds. That's always, why not shoot for the stars? And if it's working in a baseball front office, definitely not going to be disappointed or anything like that. That's a heck of a goal to have. (laughs) I mean, I I think you should keep pushing for it. Why not? Why not be? Mm -hmm. Why not be GM of the Mets? But here's a here's a fun one that I was just thinking of as we've gone on through this conversation. Do you ever uh, think about all the knowledge that you've now gained in the two years and wish you could go back and uh, maybe you know coach up the uh, the high school pitcher Dylan a little bit (laughs) with some of the the knowledge you now have about you know biomechanics and whatnot. Definitely, for sure. Sort of like, wow, I wish I had, because learning more about pushing off your back leg and realizing, shoot, I could have done that a lot more. But I think showing up and I was radar gun at uh, club baseball, because I still do play a little bit of baseball on the side of being on the club team. We had the radar gun out. It was at 82 this weekend. And sort of realizing that's solid, really good pitcher. But then I go to Georgetown practice or see the Georgetown results and like, well, he's throwing 94. All right. I kind of understand why I got cut. So as much as the biomechanics help from learning about the baseball team two years later, would definitely maybe push that 82 to 84. But I don't know if I'm hitting 92. I still 170 pounds wet. Not sure. And the, the guys on the team are stallions at 200 plus. I don't know. It would take a massive gym transformation to be able to make that team. Fair enough. <laughs> That's great. That that's that's awesome. Well, the fact that you hit eighty two, I know you're you got a couple years uh, behind behind me. I'd be lucky to to sniff seventy four right now if you put a radar gun in front of me. So. My arm might follow the ball to the plate. <laughs> yeah so it seems like seems like the arm's still in good shape which is which is a good problem to have you probably uh unlike dan and i you saved those bullets over your four years of college we we blew ours out and it really did not i would probably argue uh, there's part of me that might would rather be a analytics guy on the baseball team as a sophomore in college but 
you know, I don't want to send you on your way here without giving you an opportunity to talk about Steve Cohen and the Mets. So obviously you are a Mets fan. You grew up in New York City. And, you know, I mentioned to you before we got on the podcast that Dan and I take any opportunity to come on a negative side of the Mets. So, you know, since we have you on, trust me, Dan and I are not horrible. He's not a typical (laughs) Philly fan and he's not going to just like crap on everything you say, but how is it being a Met fan with Steve Cohen at the helm and and just, you know, how exciting is, is every day at this point? It's really refreshing knowing that, and I think the Carlos Correa sign, even though it didn't happen, really instilled in me that you never know when you wake up what could have happened in the night while you were sleeping. Because that's the prime example of I went to bed and he was a San Francisco giant. And I woke up in the morning. I remember my dad literally tapped me on the, like he woke me up because I was still like slowly getting out of bed and just grogging around. And dad was like, we signed Carlos Correa last night. I was like, okay, cool. <laughs> um, and then I checked my phone and you see the John Heyman tweet of like the Mets signed Carlos Correa. I'm like, you weren't joking? And <laughs> And with the Mets now, Steve Cohn has built up a culture where, as much as that was unexpected, and I think for sure no one saw that coming, but a better example early in the offseason, you lose DeGrom, and 48 hours later, Justin Verlander's your co-ace with Max Scherzer. It's that he seems, and Steve grew up a Mets fan, so he seems dedicated to wanting to get this team in the most successful way possible. And I think he said it, he had this press conference a couple of days ago where he's like, I know I said that he wants to win a World Series in the first three to five years of his ownership. And technically, this is year three, I think, of Steve Cohen. So clock is ticking. But then he sort of retracted on that statement this week of saying that as long as we build a sustainable winner on and off the field, the Mets have a decent chance of eventually getting that first World Series since 1986. But um, it's also off the field as well. I know he's working right now on a massive project of developing this sort of Mets land across from City Field because right now there's a bunch of chop shops and there's mm-hmm. nothing around other than the parking lot. And apparently they're going through a massive renovation of tearing those down, creating a Mets land. There's rumors of a casino, a New York Jets stadium. There's all these flying ideas that would love to see them happen, but it shows that he wants to turn the Mets not only to a great baseball team, but a brand in general of a lot of years to go before we're the next New York Yankees. But the first couple of years I was a Mets fan, it was not a great time to be a Mets fan. I know we had the All-Star game and we had that one World Series appearance. But other than that, a lot of Mickey Calloways and stuff like that. <laughs> <laughs> but now being a Mets fan, knowing that like I can wear a Mets shirt and be proud of it. And you know, it's definitely a cool feeling knowing that going into every year, I know the Phillies probably now have this too, where you expect playoffs. And Yankees fans expect to be in the playoffs and win 82 games versus five years ago, a Mets fan, if we win 81 games, we are throwing a parade for the team. So that's really the Steve Cohen effect in a nutshell. Yeah. And I just think I, to me, it's like, I think it's going to be fascinating in a couple of years, the, the case study you could do on, on guys like Dombrowski and, and mm-hmm. John Middleton in Philly and, and Steve Cohen in New York of like, Steve Cohen's putting his money where his mouth is, right? Like when he bought the team, it was like, okay, you're saying this. But then when you look at it, I mean, the point you made where you, you know, they win 102 games last year. They're probably the best team in baseball from start to finish, just as far as consistency goes. I mean, obviously the Astros were 
you know, the Astros are going to Astro and the Dodgers are great. <laughs> but um, you look at the Mets and, and in a hard division, they went 102 games, but you lose DeGrom, you lose Taiwan Walker, and you lose Chris Bassett. And he's like, okay, well, here's Justin Verlander, Cody Senga, and, and Jose Quintana. And like, to, as a fan, right? Like, that's all you, that's all you're asking for. That's mm-hmm. when you when you root for a team, and I know GM Trev sits here and plays the. <laughs> he hates every country. He would. Trevor's the least <laughs> player friendly guy on our podcast. I think I tell everyone that I know that because like he doesn't like it. But as a fan, right? Strictly speaking, as a fan, if you're not sitting in it, looking at it from that ten thousand foot view, if you're a fan, that's what you're. That's what you want, mm-hmm. right? Like you you sit there and you want. You know, I want the Phillies to sign Trey Turner for eleven yeah. years. Sure, when he's forty, that contract might not look great. Got it. But then you look at situations and what the Mets are doing and, and even the Phillies, like Manny Machado's opting out and wants, you know, 200 million more, which the Mets <laughs> probably are the front runners to land him. But like, you know, then you have like oh, Bryce Harper doesn't have any, any, you know, opt outs. So like mm-hmm. that contract looks better and better as long as you can stay healthy. And so I think, you know, to me, it's like, yeah, the Mets, the Mets are building that brand. But they have the Braves in that division who yeah. might be doing it better than anyone by <laughs> locking up their young stars on Trevor Powers deals. <laughs> I'm seeing. I think the Braves. What was it like? The special assistant of the Braves is now the GM of the Astros, and uh-huh. yeah. really just like you saw, he already in his second week he signed Christian Javier to the yep. massive extension. Like mm-hmm. the Astros were already really good. If they're about to sign all yeah. their young guys on Braves contracts, like World yeah, Series well, is over for the next five years. There's no doubt about it. <laughs> yeah. Well, you have me sitting in my ivory tower. I wish I could get Ozzy Albies to set, sign a deal for <laughs> whatever it was, seven years, forty million. I, I if whoever has the magic potion that they gave to him to convince him to put put ink on a dotted line for that, I guess of course that's a good contract. Or Acuna, or Matt Olson, <laughs> yeah, or eight, Sean eight, Murphy, or like I mean. Th- yeah, I mean, it's so, it's so easy. Yes, exactly. It's so easy for me to sit there and say everybody should build the Braves, but it's not a reality of the problem. I get it. I know, but I, <laughs> you know, I gotta, I gotta play the the villain at some point. We can't just play for have, sure. You know, sunshine and rainbows on the Phillies and Mets. Come on. I just think. Well, my, I guess my point too, and, and Dylan is a Mets fan. You can probably speak better to this because you're more knowledgeable about the organization but the braves had acuna and albies in their minor leagues right mm-hmm. francisco lindor wasn't a met yeah, outside yeah. of pete alonzo like these guys weren't mets so you gotta throw some like how is she gonna get better like that you know you're just extending the rebuild if you don't by having to draft and develop those stars where if they're in your system yeah try and lock them up as early as possible but if not you get good players win games put butts in the seats i mean city field's gonna be f- full dylan i'm mm-hmm. sure you'll be at plenty of games this summer right yeah, and I think when the Mets tried to develop, not to say they can't develop homegrown players, but you remember the Mets 2015 was built entirely off that homegrown yep. Syndergaard, DeGrom, Harvey, Matt, Wheeler rotation. And now you look and we're only five years after that and they're all gone. Like Jacob yep. was the last one. And each one of them, you could argue other than DeGrom and I guess Wheeler now as well, they've yeah. all didn't live up to the expectation they had. I guess Wheeler... Now with the Phillies, for sure has. But with the Mets, he was he never did four starter at best. And Degrom obviously is the exception because he's an alien. He was yeah, he was yeah. he's the guy that out of the five we probably expected to do the least. And then mm-hmm. he was a late round draft pick, and all of a sudden converted shortstop from Stetson and two Cy Youngs later in one hundred seventy five million dollars. Best pitcher in the world, yeah, exactly. <laughs> and then you got guys like Syndergaard, Mats, and Harvey who had their moments in the spotlight, but not the pillars like the Braves had. So it, it does come to buy Max Scherzer let's buy Justin Verlander and if Steve Cohen's willing to spend the money I guess as a fan and switching away from 
the Georgetown where you're sort of hands-on, but as a fan, it's not my money to spend. Right. So, <laughs> exactly I'm not right. complaining if Steve's willing to spend $500 million on the team. As a Mets fan, we're happy days. So, Dan, you'll you'll love this. Uh, they had Chris Godoris, who's the director of uh, analytics with Ole Miss. And um, he w- worked for the Mets for a while. And going into 2015, he said that DeGrom was going to be pitching out of the bullpen. And for him to go on a recorded platform and say that and admit <laughs> that, like, that would have been like, yeah, that I'm taking humility. that to my grave. <laughs> but anyway, he, he had a really good story about uh, the guy who was with the Mets and, and kind of taught him why what made DeGrom different and the things he did. And specifically it was a lesson about extension and you know, how he makes 90, what at the time was 94 to 96, what's now 101, you know, look so much harder and get on the hitters. And, you know, I, I, I when he was talking about it and, and saying that about the rotation and you said DeGrom was, was going to be the, the worst potentially it's, I, <laughs> I thought of that story. So I thought it was ironic and just to, just to, talk about uh, Steve Cohen a little bit more. One of my points has always been, and this is where I'll be really intrigued. And I know I've said it to Dan is, you know, at what point do you have to reflect on what you're doing? And if it doesn't work, if he's Mm -hmm. spending, like he's, I, I, I said to my one buddy, my old roommate in college, you don't spend like Steve Cohen didn't get rich spending stupid money. Right. So if you're throwing stupid money around and you're not seeing wins go to, the you know on the standings you're not seeing mm-hmm. it on the scoreboard you're not seeing all the things like that and at what point does the pressure start to become okay now trade francisco alvarez because the fans are pissed mm-hmm. and because that's what he wants to do he wants to build the sustainable winner like the dodgers you throw money in the right spots you develop in the right spots and you build this sustainable winner he just said it and at what point do you become desperate because your fans are pissed? At what point do you become the fact of like maybe these long-term contracts aren't great? So I'd love to hear, hear your argument back at me because my one friend said, well, Steve Cohen's just going to keep throwing money. And I'm like, okay, yeah, maybe he could. He could prove me wrong. My whole point all along is just keep that energy because it's going to be really hard if you're winning 81, 82 games and fans are pissed and you got Brandon Nimmo locked up, you got Francisco Lindor locked up, you got what would have been Carlos Correa locked up, and you can't just cut all of them. Mm -hmm. I think with Steve Cohen right now, we're still, and I know it's year three, the honeymoon is still alive and well, and that he goes anywhere and he's still Uncle Stevie, and he tweets something out about, ooh, did you see we got the trumpets back? And everyone is fawning over it and is like, Yes, Uncle Stevie, thank you so much. And then <laughs> I guess it'll eventually hit. Maybe it's this three to five year World Series promise where if by the end of year five, we're still wild card round exits. And hopefully we're going a little a little farther than that. But um, I know another New York owner, James Dolan, has sort of has that same problem of fan base has kind of turned on him. And it's not because yeah. of a lack of spending. Mm-hmm. He's willing to throw money at Jalen Brunson. He's willing to throw money into the garden and sort of, try to as much he definitely he wants to win James Dolan don't get me wrong but fan base does not like him as much as the Mets fans right now love Steve Cohen and for now I guess as long as Steve continues to engage with the fans and truly care and I know one of the differences that uh, Steve Cohen's wife Alex Cohen is at spring training and she's now following every single Mets fan she knows on Instagram literally if you (laughs) tag her in a photo and say, let's go Mets. You are getting a follow from the wife of the owner of the New York Mets, which That's is awesome. a really cool thing versus 
James Dolan now has a scanning technology at the front of Madison Square Garden, where if you work for a lawyer company that is currently suing the garden and garden property, you are banned. I know there was that story where I think someone was trying to take their daughter to the Rockettes and all of a sudden, like someone walked up and said, sorry, you and your daughter have to leave the building. So I hope as long as Steve doesn't do that, the fans aren't going to turn as badly. But I do think Mets fans do get impatient after a while. And for now, we're still in the honeymoon coming off a 101 win season with Buck Showalter and signing every person imaginable. But I could probably guarantee if we do have that 75 win season all of a sudden it's gonna be like steve what's up yeah and i want buck went to win one more than more than (laughs) like he's he deserves it he is the consummate professional like he literally left two organizations who won world series the year after Mm -hmm. he left and it wasn't like he got fired because the team was winning 60 games there were playoff teams in both scenarios so you know it's it's definitely uh Definitely something to, to keep an eye on. It's, it's something that we'll, we'll be tracking, and you know, obviously, as a Mets fan, you'll be you'll be dialed in on on it all. So, Dan, you got any uh, last comments on that? No, man. But this has been a lot of fun. It's been a blast. Absolutely, had so much fun. I will say, if the three to five year window of the Mets doesn't line up perfectly, and that they don't win in those five years, that would be Buck's fourth year. Wouldn't be surprised if Carlos Beltran's the next manager of the Mets. Just saying that they did hire him again yes, last week. I saw that. Maybe mm-hmm. groom him into the bench coach role for Bucks last season or two. I know Eric Chavez is another guy that was a hitting coach last year. All of a sudden, this series suddenly the bench coach. Just interesting things that I know Buck definitely wants that World Series, but Buck's also, I think, 70 at least. Yeah, right he's now. getting up there. Yeah. So who knows if after another season or two, if they don't win it all, or even if they do win it all, and Buck says, I'm done. Yeah. yeah. Beltran and Chavez are two really interesting guys, but that's a good call. I think Beltran definitely, right? Yeah. Yeah. I mean it was gonna happen. <laughs> it should it should have happened. Beltran. <laughs> but we don't have we do not have enough time to get into that today. No, no, no. <laughs> Well, Dylan, I, I, we really appreciate you hopping on the, the podcast with us and, and obviously for our listeners. Um, tell our listeners where, where they can find the podcast and, and the name and, and just kind of run down on, on what to expect if they were to tune into any episodes. Absolutely. So Side Retired Pod is now available on Apple and Spotify. We've got TikTok, Twitter, and Instagram pages up and running. I know we try to diversify the coverage on the TikTok and on the YouTube. Then it's not all just uh, episode content, but we'll have we have one guy that likes to imitate pitchers' windups now. All of a sudden, so he's been making a couple do-it-yourself videos of those, and the quality is not great at all. But it sort of keeps him used. He has fun doing it, and that sort of thing goes back to the whole idea of as long as we're having fun doing yep. this type of stuff, why not keep doing it? If he sends me a video saying. I want to wish happy birthday to, I think, Vladimir Guerrero Jr. And it's literally him just holding up his phone and saying, happy birthday, Vladimir Guerrero Jr. It gets posted. <laughs> and it could get 20 views on YouTube, which might look sad, but 20 more than not posting anything. Um, mm-hmm. But no, looking forward on the podcast, lots of fun, exciting guests with baseball season right around the corner. would love to have you guys on as well. Return the favor and you know, continue our conversation, have you guys on as well if you ever have any free time. But, you know, had a blast talking to you guys. Of course. Yeah, man, I mean, anytime. I, I, yeah, anytime. We're, we're both uh, pretty open to definitely getting on there and talking baseball the same way we would do here. It's it's always a, a joy to have that conversation. So, 
but ultimately we we do appreciate you you coming on and and hopefully it's not the last time maybe yeah who knows if the mets win the world series you might be, i mean you might be getting a lot of calls from a lot no, of we'll definitely have you back on we'll get you back on we'll, we'll give you your moment you can trash on all our takes in the next 162 games that dan and i are gonna have you could be like hey remember on april 30th when you said that he sucks yeah up yours trevor okay fair so uh you that opportunity is always there and, and we'll definitely uh definitely stay in touch and, and we'll get each other on the podcast and you know we we appreciate you coming on but for our listeners that that'll be all for this episode uh we appreciate you guys tuning in make sure you're sharing liking sharing and subscribing on all podcast platforms as well as on social media I accidentally, I accidentally went viral on TikTok and <laughs> followers went up by 2,000. I'd have to check again. Um, sorry to the Los Angeles Dodgers for screen recording your video of Mookie hitting a homer, but it, it helped our brand. So if you're not following on TikTok already, you might have already seen the video and you might be one of the 2,000 that followed us in the last 24 hours. But uh, also following on Twitter and Instagram, we're trying to post as much content as possible. And obviously with spring training coming around, hopefully the content's going to be getting a little better, getting a little bit more in detail. And I know Colin's got a couple guests that he wants to get on. So we're super excited about what the next couple of weeks are going to be. So uh, make sure you're following and sharing with five friends. But until next time, see you guys on the next episode.